Hello and welcome to episode 32 of the Large Format Photography Podcast. My name is Simon Forster and I'm joined by Andrew Bartram and Guy Bellingham. Hello Andrew. Hi Simon. And hello Guy. Good morning. It's good to have you with us Guy. Thank you. Right, well first things first, um, I wish to say thank you to Jack Lowe. Uh, for being with us uh, in our last show uh, two weeks ago, um, absolutely great having you having you with us, Jack. And as we, I think as we talked along at the time, um, our discussion went off in a completely different direction to where where we thought it was going to go. Um, and we really enjoyed that discussion. And I think there's definitely uh, room for to, for a part two there where we can actually talk a little bit more about your process and how you get about and do things so uh, um, hopefully uh, we'll we'll make that happen in the not too distant future so uh, thank you again Jack um, right so on to this week and let's have head over to the Cambridgeshire Fens and see what Andrew's been up to hi Simon well it's um the weather hasn't quite got to where I want it to be for our weekend away in the caravan so I've got that to look forward to so I was wondering whether to take a large format camera with me. When um, you say our weekend away. You... Well, not me and you, of course. Yeah. No. <laughs> Just no. wanted to clarify that. <laughs> me and me and Julie. So it's our first caravan trip since we've uh, come out of lockdown. But I'm th thinking of taking, um, maybe exposing a drive plate or two. We'll see. Uh, so I'll talk about that in a minute. But um, um, there was something I was going to... Oh, I know what it was. Yeah, you were talking about... Uh, you're talking about Jack, weren't you? Mm -hmm. And so I've been chatting to him on the uh, Patreon chatter, and he, he is actually up as well for a live outside broadcast at some point in the future. So we've got an invite to go and join him on a lifeboat shoot, which oh, I think is just brilliant. And if you don't want to do it, I'm going to do it. Oh, we, we even if it, even if it means I stay down there for a few days, wherever he is, we, we can yeah. join him, see him at work, <laughs> take pictures and and do a recording isn't that fantastic that would be absolutely amazing no two ways about it so I, I don't know when that's going to happen obviously he was saying it's you know his project really realistically is, is not going to be up and running till probably next spring and uh, you know even then there's going to be social distancing involved i guess but um, i think he's going to have to get up and running no matter what the situation is so uh yeah uh i don't know where he got to because i think on the last when he was talking to us he was he was sort of on the south coast wasn't he getting ready to move to one of the channel islands um i don't expect i'll join him on the channel islands but you know certainly uh if he starts going around towards um well, you know, think, towards kent or or uh, east, east sussex I'd, I'd look on his um on, on, again on the on the site and i think he's got quite a few to do like in north wales and lancashire uh-huh um, so, that would be good as well yeah so yeah that could be a potential there as well yeah because i think if it depends which way he's going because he's done yeah i'm not quite is he working himself working his way around in a certain direction or is i don't know but anyway um if he's got lancashire to do and north wales either of those would be good get the get the caravan over there <laughs> Yeah. So, um, other than that, um, what, large format wise, I did use my Indostar 37 with some paper in it. It was a bit of a bright day and the, I got some, what appeared to be lovely pictures of Julie, but they were even with my quickest flip of the hand, I wasn't able, cause I was, you know, there's no, there's no, um, 
uh, yes, there is. I was doing this wide open. I could have shut it down, actually, but I wanted to see what the lens looked like wide open, you know, because that's what you do, isn't it? You want to see what it looks like wide open. And so I was exposing paper at ISO 2, and it was a bit bright, really, and I needed to – it was less than a second with the bowler hat. And uh, I, I tried to be less than a second, but uh, they were a bit dense in ne- negatives, I think. And I was doing some contact prints in the darkroom because I couldn't print. They were so dense I couldn't actually print through them in the enlarger uh, but i was doing contact prints and then i ran out of time and i was because uh, even contact prints were taking a bit too long really so i'm going to work on that again but actually then i i have actually taken receipt of uh, a four by five holder made by jeff former guest on the show jeff perry of 20th century cameras um he sent me the four five holder universal holder um, and the interesting thing about that is it comes, well, it doesn't come with, but mine did. It came with wet plate collodion insert, dry plate insert, sheet film insert, and Instax wide insert. So oh. you basically flip out the little insert, put the new one in, depending on what your process is, and then it folds flat with a magnet. It was very ingenious, very well designed, uh, but more importantly, it meant um, I could expose my first four five um, dry plate from Jason Lane. So um, I did just that. I took my large format camera to Kings Lynn last weekend, and we went to see Julie's mum, which first time we'd seen her since lockdown. And um, I chose a shady end of our garden in front of a summer house. Sat sat the mum down. Sat, stood Julie kind of next to her in the same plane of focus, and exposed my first. Dry plate. Now, this was using that Blethio, that French lens I bought, Simon. I can't if you remember. It was a, yeah. It's a 215mm f6.4 Blethio or something like that. And, again, I wanted to shoot it wide open because I wanted to see what it looked like. So uh, I had the ISO 2 plates in, and because I figured it was the time of the day and it was well-shaded, I've, I assumed the UV light levels would need a bit of help on the exposure, so I rated it at one. That gave me, on my handheld meter, probably one and a half seconds. Um, and I only had one glass plate because I only had one holder. So um, I suppose I could have taken more and used a changing bag. But uh, So I set them up, focused critically on uh, mother-in-law's eyes, and very very quickly stuck the plate in made a shot and i got an image it's a little bit on the thin side i think i haven't printed it yet but there's detail there's detail there the 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 two subjects um look nicely exposed and uh, the eyes look to be sharp so they clearly didn't move so I, i shared what i was doing on the facebook group and people said well you you know if you'd have stopped down you could have got People can stay still for 10 seconds. I'll be interested to see what Guy says about this in a minute, although I think he's using studios. Um, Apparently, Jimmy Hickford said he he posed and managed to stand, sit still for 10 seconds during a wet plate collodion picture of him. And I said, yeah, I know I could have stopped down, but I wanted to see what it looked like wide open, and and it was what it is. It it is what it is. So, uh, But it was very exciting. I think until I get my Kickstarter four by five holder at least i've got the 20th century one and when i eventually do some wet plate it means i can use wet plate in it as well um, it can all be washed easily under the tap um 
uh, and it's uh, it's great. The only trouble is you have to get them from America, and if you're not careful, you get stung by uh, import charges. Yeah, I, I've I've uh, I found well, I've been shooting with an Indus staff for quite a while, and uh, and I use it wide open. I've uh, I've actually built myself a posing stand, you know, to hold the back of the head still. Um, and that re- I found that really helps to to nail focus. And I've caught, sort of it's quite a sort of Heath Robinson job. It's it's made out of all parts from a drum kit, <laughs> so it's an upright stand. Uh, and I've got a uh, it's mounted on a the base from an old drum stool, and I've got an upright from that, and then uh, a cymbal arm that comes out, so you can angle it and pose it at any angle. And then I've got one of those hooks that you use to hold tools in your tool shed you know like a handle hook with a couple of felt pads on that mounted on that and it works brilliantly um it pretty much means i can nail focus every time you're shooting i think from looking at your work guy in in studios or in in an inside setting for mostly are you with with lighting room actually yeah (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so i've got a i've got i live in the roof of a building so i've got nice big velox windows uh, for the most part, I've been shooting with um, studio lights, hot lights, um, Fresnels, but I'm starting to do more stuff with the natural lights here in the morning. So I've got, I've got about a window between nine and half eleven when the sun's on this side of the building to actually get really good natural light. Yeah. Hmm. And you're using um, a wet plate, which gives you a really low—is it a very low ISO, effectively? So is it less than one? Uh, yeah, so um, generally speaking, I think uh, it depends on the speed and age of your collodion, but it's 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 around 0.5 to 1 ISO. Mm. Okay, well, you can tell us more about that in uh, in a bit, because I know you've been, I've been following some of your conversations on Facebook where you've been chatting with um, oh, Mark Osterman of George Eastman House, and uh, we'll certainly chat about that in a, in a, in a while. But um, I, I'll... I'll give Simon a chance to um, tell us what he's been up to. <laughs> what he's been up to, Simon? Well, well, I've just just got a quick question about this this posing stand. Oh yeah, and, uh, and about what what part actually touches the the the, the model? Is it is it around the right at the neck? Is it behind the head? How how does that work? Um, so, well, I mean, they used to use them in Victorian times. So, generally speaking, you've got two kind of pads that sit either probably about two inches apart that sit usually just just above the nape of the neck or you can't you know you can position it anywhere but it's just a reference point yeah for the person sitting they don't have to be leaning into it they can just just be touching it yeah and and it not it helps hold hold the head still to some degree but it when particularly when you're focusing with such a narrow depth of field it's Mm. it's a huge help to actually nail that focus on the eyes yeah um but yeah, I mean, you can you can you can buy an antique one, but they cost an absolute fortune. Um, so I've kind of yeah cobbled one up together. Share, um, bits and sh- share a few photographs, perhaps into the Facebook group. That would be great, guy. Oh sure, yeah, I'll post one up. Yeah, um, but yeah, if you it needs to be heavy because you don't want it flexing or moving in any way. So usually I weight it down with a sandbag, and um, yeah, that mm. works seems to work really well. No, I, I'm really intrigued by that because uh, there's. I could I could see that helping me when eventually when we get back to um, the Six Towns Darkroom Club, which also has a studio. Um, I want to take some shots with my speed graphic. Um, although that said, though doing it, you know, I can use use slower film. 
mm. but just with this for the case of the speed graphic um or other my mpp micropress which has actually uh um, succeeded my speed graphic i should say um and also i wanted to take some shots using a, an aero ectal um or a enlarged lens or not enlarged lens a projection lens wide open and of course the the issue that you have with 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 that setup is uh, yes you can you can get the focus uh, but then you've you've then got to you know you've got to insert your your film holder and all those kind of things and that takes a period of time mm-hmm. um and you know when you've got that tiny depth of field um even though you can take the actual photograph quickly um you've still got to have the the the, the model has to be still whilst i'm changing all the equipment and getting getting the shot ready so yeah. it's a same same problem in a different way if you like so um i could definitely see the the, the usefulness of uh, something and as i say even it, it you know when they say about you know antique ones yeah um at the end of the day these these things have always been cobbled together you know there's never it's never been a, a mass-produced item has it so uh it's one of those things where it doesn't matter what it looks like as long as it doesn't get in the photo in, in the photograph and it's sturdy and it does the job yeah yeah, I mean, it, it's it's pretty simple to knock one up. Um, I know people have used a variety of things, um, but yeah, it really it really is a huge help. I mean, particularly, uh, it, it's a lot. You know, it's good to have people sitting down. It make does that does makes things easier. If you know, even if you just got simply a back to a chair that people can lean into. But actually, you know, um, marking where the head back of the head should be with the stand is makes a huge difference particularly when you're depth you know if you're shooting with an aero hectare or something where that depth of field is so narrow um yes yeah, it's, it's brilliant and it's cheap too you know it's a, it's an easy thing to knock together yeah if um if folks find themselves in liverpool as i often do uh go and check out the hardman house in in liverpool it's uh it's the home of a working photographer he was in the last century I think up until about 1930s or 40s, maybe. And he worked with his wife uh, in a fairly uh, fairly wealthy part of Liverpool at the time. It's where all the doctors and surgeons lived. So he did a lot of society portraits. But basically, you go around, you have to make an appointment, and they take small groups around. And it's pretty much left as, you know, as a... As a working photographer's house. It was, it was in some disarray, I think, when the guy died. He, in fact, he might have lived on into the 60s um, but he'd stopped sort of working and the house was in a bit of a state when it was um when it when it was kind of taken over by eventually by the national trust but they've they put it back into a working photographer's house and he's you know he's got large wet plate cameras stood on you know a bit like going to dave shrimpton's house that's what it looks like and various stands for holding necks steady and stuff so certainly recommend that if you find yourself in in Liverpool, check out the Hardman House. That's just a slight aside. No, that's uh, that's something I'd like to try. I'd like to check that out definitely. So uh, Liverpool's not a million miles away. It's where I like to go to. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the situation is now because it, the, the little groups were quite intimate. So uh, I know National Trust properties are starting to open up, but uh, it's probably going to be on a phased basis. And somewhere like that, they might be one of the last to get back to normal. I don't know. Have you, uh, just uh, talking about keeping subjects uh, still, have you you guys ever come across the hidden mother shots from the Victorian period? I may have done. Keep talking and jog my so, memory. So this is where uh, people wanted pictures of their top babies and toddlers uh, taken. 
And so they just wanted the picture of the baby or, or toddler themselves. And rather bizarrely, I mean, this, this does seem very Victorian, but they, uh, the mother would sit in a chair and then be covered in like a black drape or, or some sort ah. of fabric. So almost ghost-like, if you like. And then they'd hold the baby yeah. or toddler absolutely still for the exposure to be taken so that they didn't move. So there's, if you, you know, you can Google it, but there's the, we'll it's a bizarre, you know, look, they're bizarre looking pictures where this, the mothers are hidden, but the babies are, uh, uh, yeah, held frozen. Well, well, the other, so you've got me thinking now, the other bizarre sort of, I guess it's Victorian practice, and it seems bizarre to our eyes, but there was a whole, oh, I say industry, it's perhaps not the right word, but there was a whole phenomenon of photographing the, the dead, but not just photographing the dead, but you know, dressing them up and posing them and, you know, things that look a bit kind of morbid in perhaps in our, to our way of thinking, but presenting them in an almost lifelike fashion. And I think that was, that would have been, obviously there's not much issue with them moving, is there? But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it just got, it just got me thinking, you know. <clears throat> I was thinking, on, I, was, I, I was thinking on exactly the same lines as soon as, as soon as I saw these photographs. Um, so I, I, yeah, there was a, I don't know if it was a, a documentary about it, yeah, but I saw something about it a couple of years ago. I think. I think there might have been a drama. It might have been a docudrama or something. Right. Yeah. But I've I've just brought up the uh, the pictures of the the, the hidden mother um, photos, and they are bizarre. <laughs> they they are so ridiculously bizarre. They, I mean, if the way it was described, uh, the way you were describing it, uh, guy, I was thinking, well, perhaps they were just like very carefully disguising uh, the, the the mother in the photograph so that you don't actually know that the mother's actually there and, and it's just it's just it's like the, a woman with a cloth on her head well <laughs> exactly exactly this is yeah. ridiculous it's absolutely nuts oh there's one there it was like a woman covered in like a tablecloth yeah, yeah. <laughs> with That's a tablecloth hand around the front of, of this baby who's looking a bit scared <laughs> Yeah, they're very strange. They are weird, aren't they? There's one yeah. that looks like like a like a black well, I'm, I'm black ghost behind her. But actually, the, the arm is coming out, and so you've got this disembodied adult arm around this child with this black spectre-like figure between the two girls. How weird is that? Well, thank you, Guy. Would you would you know what the what the logic was behind this? I I I don't I don't know why they wouldn't be seen together. It's it just seems there's a modern there's a modern take on it as well. There's one here by someone called Jennifer Combe C O M B E of jennifercombe.com. So, she, um, and this is a modern picture. It's just on Google there on you know when they bring up the images, and so she there's clearly somebody still practicing it. Wow, These so weapons. she's got a a sort of. Um, paisley patterns sheet over her and both her hands are visible and it's the most bizarre thing there, there, are, there, are, there are more as well there, there seem to be more people that are doing this yeah, they're, they're, so it's obviously a thing isn't it yeah well they're just another, re, re, recreating it for, for, yes. for, for whatever reason there's another one here with some lady with tattoos up her arm so her arms are visible and she's yeah that's the one I saw is that your one you're looking at yeah it was earlier yeah yeah, so Google, as Guy said, Google hidden mother's photos. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm now I'm now looking at one. I'm going to have to try and dig the links out for these so people can see them because they're extraordinary. Um, there's, there's one where it's clearly a Victorian lady holding a, 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 a child, um, and you think, well, okay, that's that's fair enough. But you, what you can't see 
is ev- the the mother's from the waist downwards. The, the, she's wearing something dark, um, and then you've got she's wearing a white blouse, and you can see her arm supporting the child. And then, you, as you look up the blouse, you get to the neck of the blouse, and then the, then the face disappears, <laughs> so, completely headless. There are some weird. There's another one here with two young babies sitting on a chair. And the woman's not making no, she's not covering it. She's just hiding behind the chair. You can just see the top of her head <laughs> and her arms around the side. And there's also something called the Hidden Mother Brewery as well, which I've just discovered. How about that? Well, there you go. It's, it's, uh, this is that thing. There's a whole rabbit hole you've opened yeah, right here, guys. Yeah, we, we, we make this podcast. We never know where any, any episode is going to go. We think we do, but it never gets there. And now we're talking about headless women and uh, invisible <laughs> women and so on. So, um yeah, uh, fascinating stuff, um, and we yeah we we will include uh, links in the uh, in the podcast notes, which will be on our our website, um, and uh, and also of course they'll be in the uh, the, the the Facebook group. But um, if you can't get to the Facebook group, we don't want to go there. Um, then uh, head to our um, uh, on Podbean. Yeah, so if you look up. Uh, large format photography podcast on Poddean. Uh, you'll see where our show notes are all there as well. And you'll be able to see links to uh, some of these amazing photographs. Right. So um, I think sure I'd ask you what you're up to. And then you went back and <laughs> yeah, quizzed that was it, about yeah. neck rests. And then we got on to hidden mothers. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Well, <laughs> it's like, how'd you follow that really? Um, well, uh, I've not been up to a huge amount of photography uh, in the last uh, two weeks um a couple of reasons uh one reason which i'm I'm not going to go into uh into now um and that's had a a short hospital stay and a uh something of a scare um and if you want to hear more about that um i talk about it it's uh at length on the classic lenses podcast which uh went out a couple of days ago um but uh yeah so that that wasn't good and that uh sort of uh put me off doing things for a bit but the uh immediately before that um and quite possibly the cause of what put me in hospital <laughs> um was um i'd just been uh printing uh quite a number of things for for, for clients and uh i just happened to have this situation where i would say printing that's 3d printing photographic uh, related products <clears throat> and uh, i'd had a, an order come in from from uh, uh japan and I was also finishing something off, uh, which was large format related for Steve Lloyd of Chroma Camera. Five by seven hot swappable back. Exactly. How exciting is that? That exactly. looks really good. That's it. So, so you can, for the first time, you can turn a four by five camera into a five by seven camera. I can't get my head around it. It's awesome. Wow. It is. A, it's a. It's a great idea. Um, so that would be right. Re- so presumably, Simon. Sorry, but because I was thinking about this after I've been dwelling on it all week, really, because I thought, well. Can I justify buying one of those? And I think, well, actually, I do a lot of five by seven, six by seventeen panoramic photo- photography on the back of my four five. So presumably, to accommodate the five by seven hot swappable back, the, either you've got to have bellows at it that sort of come bigger, do they, or go further back to allow the light to open up to that five by seven aspect ratio. So I'm thinking, what happens when I put my five, my six by seventeen? Do I get even more? You know, can I use wider lenses? I, I, I can't quite get my head around it, but yeah. I've, so I've there's t- something about that Chroma camera, the the Carbon Adventure, which allows that instead of a normal four by five back to put a five by seven back on, and still get you know still get full image coverage. 
Yeah. I mean, uh, and that's, and, and to be honest, I've not actually seen this in the flesh. Uh, I've only right. seen the pictures like as, 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 as you have. I mean, the bits, I, I built four parts um, for it uh, because they, they're quite large and um, I'm able to print quite, quite large things. Um, so it looked very professional what you did. I have to say, I don't know. I'm not, don't mean to sound surprised, but it looked really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was worth the effort. Um, yeah. but did it take long? Sorry. I keep yeah. interrupting you, but I'm, I'm full of yes. questions. Did it take long? Yeah. Uh, in, I mean, the, the largest, the largest piece took about 14 hours uh, to, to print that, to print one item. And then there were there were several other items. That was that was the longest, uh, the the longest print, if you like. Um, but just just it's just worth uh, letting people know that it, this is something that is it's been designed in with the with the Carbon Adventurer uh, camera, and it it's it doesn't work uh, with the um, with the advanced four by five, which is yeah the what started off as the Kickstarter one that's been yeah. ke that keeps changing and uh, more the, about the carbon adventurer is that that's a sort of separate model but is that more flexible in what it does in terms of movements and things or is it just designed differently to be sort of modular and have things built up into it it's 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 largely a different design and i'm, I'm slightly wary that really we should we should get steve back on yeah, we should was, do, talk about we, it. We, yeah. we only had him for about half an hour. Um, yeah, we can ask him some. Lane. We can ask him some difficult questions as well. If he comes e exactly, exactly. Um, but no, the the design philosophy behind the adventure is different uh, to to the advanced, and uh, and and it it allows. You know, it's got more movement in it. The fact that he's using a lot of carbon fiber in it makes gives him more options it actually reduces some options as well because you you lose a le uh, physical flexibility um goes um but that the, the the greater rigidity also gives more opportunities and that's that's where uh, this this came in because i think if you did this with the if, um the advance i i guess it, it wouldn't be rigid enough to do it by on the extension i don't know um but well let's way, get him back on fairly soon because you should. know he's doing he's doing great things and i mean out of you know, between him and Intrepid, you know, they're they're just keeping this whole, not just keeping it alive, but they're just opening this up to so many photographers who wouldn't have otherwise considered large format photography. Yeah, and uh, just on the on the subject of of, of Chroma, um, it's also worth noting that uh, back in I don't know the start the start of this year when things were normal, if you remember those days, mm. um, I I actually started to team up with uh, with with Steve mm -hmm. uh, to help him uh, build uh, Chroma cameras to help him get through through the backlog, um, and then COVID happened, and it was a case of I was going to be helping him trying to get through his his backlog of orders, and um, there were a couple of things there. I I, I built uh, a number of cameras, and if anybody's wondering if they've got one of the cameras I built, I've uh, and and they're a bit scared about that. I you can tell because I've I've scratched uh, S and L. Uh, Do you know I was wondering if you did that? You're like one of those old stonemasons, aren't you? Who used to put their little monographs or, or or often on one of the gargoyles, they'd put their own face in as well. You haven't got there's not like a little Simon. Simon Forster face somewhere. There's a, there's a little bit of me in every one of them. Um, but, um, I'm horrified. But, 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 but fear, fear not, um, uh, Chroma customers. If you if you were inflicted with one of my my cameras, um, they were they were fully checked over by Steve before they went. But they'll out. become collectors' items. It's like they it's like having a, a stamp which is kind of watermarked back to front or something, isn't it? You know, or something odd about it, and you you know you've got a 
or one of those lenses, you know, like a where where it's been endorsed by the by Lindhoff or something, you know. So you've got one that's actually got Simon Forster written on it <laughs> not, not, instead of Lindhoff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, except I I didn't I I've, I've I decided to keep them anonymous. Um, <laughs> one anything coming back to me, um, but um, but no. Uh, so there were a few issues, and I, that that would have carried on. Um, but uh, there was there was. And I got to the point where I was uh, competent to building these things, except that every week uh, Steve changed the design on something. So you, you learn how to do something, how it goes together. And then the next thing, oh, I've changed that Simon now. We're going to, this will be the last time you learn, you'd need to learn to do that because you don't have to do it again because we're going to do it this way. And, and that's what's been happening all the time as anybody's been following the Chroma story. Um, it's a story of continuous improvements. Um, and that's, and that's what's, what's been going on there. So that made it quite difficult to learn how to build things. Um, mm -hmm. Then the next thing was uh, COVID and uh, getting hold of materials which mm. completely dried up um, uh, for, for a period of time. And, uh, and now they've actually started to, to come through again. And uh, I've spent uh, a little bit of time with Steve um, doing things in a different way. Instead of actually you know, building whole cameras with him, um, I've been helping, helping him assemble components so that he can then do the final assembly much more quickly. Um, so which is, which is the better way of doing it uh, all round, really. So, uh, so that's, that's, pretty much uh what i've been up to mm. so should we should we head over to guy and mm. uh find out uh what what you've been up to guy sure yeah well i've i'm uh, mainly working on uh figolo types at the moment which is uh digital tin types so um so unfortunately is, is that is that the technical name for a digital tin type then yeah, so they were uh, the first person to do it was a guy called uh, Gerald Figal, and I don't know whether you know it, but there's a Facebook group called Collodian Bastards. <laughs> um, Have you got to beat that out? No, <laughs> no, it's fact; uh, it can stay. Yeah, so that's it's kind of like a a, a a splitter site from from the other Collodian purists who only use you know magnesium flash and a. a, a uh, dedicated to their sort of traditional method. So it's more for a group where people are more willing to experiment around with the wet plate process. Um, so Gerald runs that and yeah, he was, he was the first person to pioneer it and that's, that's what they're called. So it's, it's where you basically you set up a wet plate camera in front of your computer monitor and take a wet plate photograph of the computer screen, whatever image is on it. Um, so yeah, seeing as due to COVID, I can't do any portrait sittings in my studio at the moment. What I'm doing is wet plating the catalog of large format digital pictures that I've taken so far. So I'm kind of immortalizing my subjects in silver. Yeah. Hmm. So I've got a little, um, got a tiny little uh, hallway cupboard and I've set up a little wet plate station in there with a red light and yeah, so that's that's what I'm working on at the moment. I've I've just gone onto the uh, the I've just I've just attempted to join that group um, because I couldn't help but search Collodian bastards and <laughs> um, and uh, it's it's called Collodian for the full name of the group is Collodian ba Collodian bastards wet plate work of questionable parentage. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, there's some great artists on there. Um, it's well worth checking out. Yeah, yeah, I've learned a lot from wow. that. Okay. Uh, well, that seems eminently sensible because 
knowing what I do of this antiquated process and the fact that you have to expose plates, um, you know, while they're while, while they're wet, hence you know that's why they call wet plate as opposed to dry plates. Um, it, it kind of limits you, you know, to doing things close to home or in a certain way. Or if you're like um, um, our last guest, you know, you've got a mobile dark room, um, and that, that that's okay. Yeah. But during this period where you can't go too far, um, you know, apart from constantly just shooting things in your garden. But here you've got an opportunity, you've got an end, endless subject matter, both of your own um, photographs. Um, I suppose you could go and photograph some landscapes that you've taken as well if you wanted to, but certainly as a good way of getting some of those digital portraits onto a wet plate medium. Yeah. Does it really offend the purison? Do they send you hate mail or something, or is there like uh, war, a war going on? Well, I, I, yeah, I think some people are, you know, in that, well, in any field, there are some people who are sticklers for mm. tradition. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm, I, I really like alternative processes and hybrid processes, and that's, uh, yeah, that's how I like to work. Um, but uh, I, I saw the term figure load type when a, a recent post you'd said where you'd shot with a. The awesomely named 15-inch cook knuckler, which sounds like some kind of violent apparatus for <laughs> thumping somebody in a boxing ring. Um, and then you, you've used several fr- phrases, which are just I just need to unpick at some point. Sure. Uh, figolo type, I thought, must have been a typo. <laughs> the cook knuckler just inspired me. And then the old dead bride collodion. And, yes. uh, that took me down the rabbit hole of clicking on mark osterman's website and i realized or his link and i realized that he worked at he works at george eastman house and looks another interesting so i I liked his page yeah and then you were referencing some book and so i thought wow and we could have a whole podcast just talking about figolo types cook knucklers and dead old bride collodion (laughs) yeah um so which would you like to start with (laughs) yeah well you've kind of wetted our now, now i know figolo type is a real thing yeah um yeah so cook cook optics uh, they're still they're still going aren't they simon they are, cook yeah, opt- yeah. yeah i'm sure i follow somebody on twitter from from cook and they do a lot of, do they do a lot of lenses into the cinema and cinematography industry and stuff like that these days i guess yeah they have there's uh yeah they, they have a particularly beautiful way of rendering they yeah they used a lot of films um but very slightly very slightly soft you know very um uh, good for skin tones, um, and the the knuckler lens that I have here, it's from the 1930s, um, and yeah, it's a 15 inch, and it's a huge thing of brass and glass. It weighs four and a half kilos. Uh, yeah, I think that, does that take that we were measuring lenses in a few shows back, Simon, weren't we? I don't know if you listened. To, oh, that was a Dave Shrimpton was show, Dave, wasn't it? Yeah. So you would have listened to that. Yeah. Did you rush out and weigh your cook knuckler when we got onto that bit? <laughs> Well, I know how much it was because of the shipping cost when I bought it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's an amazing lens. It has uh, there's these two sort of rings on the side that look a little bit like a knuckle duster, and that's that's the reason it's got its nickname, knuckler. And mm. basically, that move it's got three elements, and the the handles you can rotate uh, about a quarter of a uh, quarter of the way around, and that moves the central element uh, inside the lens and that causes more spherical aberration. So what that does is it means you can, it gradually increases the soft focus, which is particularly good for, for wet plate because some, you know, 
because it can be quite uh, wet plate can be quite harsh. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a really handy thing to have on a lens. Um, so it almost you can almost turn it into a one of those old fashioned sort of soft focus portrait lenses. That exactly, it's, it's like it's super sharp when it's when it's when the soft focus is on zero, but you can set it all the way up to five, and it's almost like an old verito or something like that. or something that kicks um, lamography or kickstarting they're doing things like this now aren't they with you can turn a little dial and um whistle up a bit of soft focus yeah or maybe a bit of bokeh bokeh <laughs> whatever yeah. one of those yeah. <laughs> maybe it's a bokeh ring i'm thinking of not soft focusing but it's the same same principle wow okay yeah um so yeah i've only i've uh, only been working with that a little bit i literally got i literally built the camera that it fits on just before lockdown so i've only is that the 12 by 12 camera you were talking about uh, where no, you... this is a new 16 by 16 one <laughs> right. and i wanted to talk to you about building so what, what they look like as well but anyway so 16 by 16 yeah. and a 12 by 12 yeah yeah so i i built the 12 by 12 about 18 months ago something like that and that's that's actually fitted with an Indostar. and so the majority of my work that you'll see on my instagram is shot with that um mm. but it's it's actually they're both uh, they're both digital cameras, so they they're 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 pretty unique design. So they actually they're actually both camera obscurers. So what this means is is that the where your film holder would be or the ground glass would be, it's actually just a white pl- uh, plain sheet mm. inside. So. Um, <clears throat> The, uh, kind of describe how these things look. So the front, the front half is a four by five monorail camera, but with the uh, uh, the back of the camera taken off, so the the bellows are open at the at the back end. And then I basically built a wooden box, cu- cuboid in shape, and bolted that onto where the bellows are so the bellows sit in the middle of the front of the box and on the back and the inside at the back of the box is the white sheet so the image from the lens just projects onto the onto the white uh, background and then i'm using a digital camera to photograph the projected image inside so yeah that's that's how my system works so i'm managing to get the look of large formats with its shallow depth of field but on a digital format wow okay so, yeah um, right so uh, uh, there's so many questions now <laughs> <laughs> um, um huh. right so the the camera yeah uh, the digital camera yeah uh, that's uh, so that that's effectively facing backwards correct yeah yeah it's like a folded optical path if you like yeah so yeah. But in it in itself, that's going to be also taking the shot from an angle, isn't it? It's going to be from one side, because it can't be yeah. from the centre, because it'll be ob- obscuring the image circle. Yes, correct. Okay. So and, yeah, so go no, go on. You you you, you say more. Okay. So, so to be able to do that, I'm using on my digital camera, I'm using a shift lens. So this means mm-hmm. I can counteract for the parallax issue. So what that means is is that the the both the lens for the uh, on the for the both the large format lens and the lens on the digital camera are pointing straight backwards but the lens on the digital camera is shifted 
So this, this means that I can shoot the back of the inside of the camera obscura straight on mm. and, and dead center in line with the um, center of the large format lens. Wow. I was just assuming when I saw a reference to your 12, 12 or 16 by 16 that you'd, you'd built something that took that size, you know, film or, or, um, or plates or something. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's a pretty unique setup, I have to say. Um, but yeah, so yeah, that's how it works. I mean, with this, I mean, with this system, I mean, with this system, you do, you are losing a lot of light because, mm. because obviously the image has to bounce off the projection surface and back to the digital camera. Yeah. So you lose about seven stops of light. So, um, yeah, that means my exposures, even though they're digital, are sort of a, even with quite a lot of light there around half a second or something yeah. like that and what what iso are you shooting uh i'm usually shooting at around 400 right. um but on a bright sunny day if i if i whack the iso up i can actually i can shoot video um with these as well <laughs> which is great because you've got you know you it, the effective depth of field is about f0.6 um so i can shoot video with an incredibly narrow depth of field um and also i've got uh, because the front end is a uh, 4x5 monorail i've also got tilt and shift and swing as well yeah. right so what's uh, what what digital camera are you using i'm using a mirrorless uh, sony yeah full, yeah. full frame a7 uh, yeah, it's a AR72. Um, yeah, yeah, which is a full frame. Yes, yeah. and, and uh, you you mentioned um, using a shift lens. Yeah. So you're not so using shift and not tilt. Correct, because you'd you'd, you'd have trouble with focusing issues with uh, uh, with with tilt because because you're using you're losing that seven stops of light. You you have to shoot with the lens on the digital shift lens wide open so yeah so you have to yeah, yeah i think all you're using the shift lens to enable you to um position the digital image in a way that you're shooting square on to the exactly otherwise you're going to be tilting the camera that's effectively what you're saying so you, the camera is not really in order to when, when you're photographing it's not quite in the right place but by moving the shift lens it, it is that's that's is exactly. that right yeah precisely that so, yeah. like like if you're just using a normal large format camera and you want to sh move things up or down a bit yeah yeah mm -hmm. that's exactly how it works. without moving the camera from its position and yes yeah. and what focal length is the shift lens um well it depends i've got a couple of setups so uh i'm using because uh, I'm using a wide angle um, to be able to cover the the back of the, the whole back of the projection surface um, at such a close distance, and obviously the lens has to be fast as well. So um, my, the main one I use is a Sigma Art lens, which is 1.4 and yeah. 20, 24 mil. Yeah, and that's that's using a shift adapter on the. I was just going to say, because they don't actually make that lens is shift in itself do they so no um so is that on a canon mount is it and then by it's a chance? it's a nikon mount okay and i'm using a, a nikon to sony shift adapter right with that and i have you know i've, tr I've tried various lenses um 
on that, but the the wide angle ones were, work better because they have a larger image yeah. circle, which means you get less vignetting from the shift. Yeah. Um, See, I, I, I'm thinking of one of my one of my um, projects for next year is to is to make an eight by ten camera, but nothing terribly complicated. And I, and I was thinking, I was rather hoping you 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 were doing something like this instead of this clever uh, system. It involves me buying a digital camera, which I don't want to do. <laughs> so I'm just going to make a, a, a very simple box-in-a-box focusing system with my Indostar 37 on the front, um, to, to, and then with an 8 by 10 sheet film holder or um, eventually maybe dry plate holder so that I can just shoot portraits. I don't want any movements. you know. I don't want yeah. to be able to shift and tilt. So just very simple box-in-box, so like a a twin lens reflex focusing mechanism really because that's all the tlr is isn't it you know you're moving a something within something else so as long as it's sealed and i don't get lights in there i reckon a box within a box camera with the indostar screwed into the front of the wooden uh, lens panel and and then uh, uh my 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 eight eight by twelve uh eight by twelve um what is it? I, uh, By 10? Yes, that's it. <laughs> Goodness me. Um, I had a moment there. 8 by 10 uh, film holder in, in, the, in the back. Cool. That would work, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, I can... I want to build it so that I can make good use of the Indostar lens. It's a great lens, I have to say. I've, you know, it's, yeah. I like looking at it. It's a you know, just lovely thing. Yeah. So I set it. I set mine up in the garden, and and I can. It, I can't get close enough, really. But I I got a decent sort of head down to knee shot, you know. But I couldn't come in any closer, really. Um, not with that setup. So I need to do something different. Right. Is that because your lack of bellows extension? Is that yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So I thought figured with just bits of wood making a. Um, box inside a box i can you can pretty much do do what you like can't you yeah um yeah i have to say you know it's 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 a pretty it's pretty tough building your own camera <laughs> i admire anyone who's done it i know how much work goes into it it's uh and i don't yeah know but a box in a box doesn't sound too difficult even for my my <laughs> skills <laughs> something with bellows and you know making plans for racking backwards and forwards and doing a proper engineering job that's something difficult something different but box in a box i have to say mine, i can mine manage look, that mine look quite heath robinson they're all made out of bits of plywood and various odds and ends from my local hardware store um yeah so they don't they don't look like much but i'm uh, no it doesn't doesn't matter does it yeah they, they you work, can get you if know. you can get an image to focus on a nice big negative you know and it works and yeah. does the job as i say i'm not looking for I'm not looking for center tilt and you know shift shift facilities and back tilt and goodness knows what. Yeah, I think it's just just worth uh, anybody that's actually listening along and they're sitting in front of a computer or uh, on their mobile phone and they got a good signal or whatever. Um, that if you go to uh, guys' Instagram account, which is Guy Bellingham Photography, so very easy to find. 
and uh, so if you are listening along uh, it's well worth uh, heading over to, uh, to the guy's Instagram page so you can have a bit of an idea of you know, the, the results the quite remarkable results that we're, mm. we're, we're looking at here Anyway, I've got a name for the show, Simon. Hidden Mothers and Knuckle Dusters. How about that? <laughs> That's, That's a good one. That's a good one. That's a winner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, I think I think now might be a good time to actually introduce our guest. Um, uh, so, Andrew, uh, would you like to um, do a, a more formal introduction to Guy? Yeah. Well, hello, Guy, and welcome to the welcome to the show. Thank you, both. Um, so I've reached out to Guy oh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, really, only become aware of Guy through starting to post into the large format photography Facebook group, and of course, I'm immediately caught by these really interesting portraits Guy's doing, and a little bit of searching shows that he's into these, you know, wet plate processes. And uh, well, you know, it's it, some lovely original work and you've clearly got a, a great enthusiasm and a great interest in old processes and you're very enthusiastic and i saw that you were making cameras and i thought yeah you'd make a you'd make a great guest i don't think you you thought you hadn't been at it long enough and i thought well even if you haven't been at it long enough you're doing some awesome work and we you know we we'd love to have you on the show so we're, you're very welcome guy and um you know you've spoken a little bit about what you've been up to and what you're doing but why don't we do that uh, a bit more of a formal introduction now where perhaps you can just tell us a little bit about your story because it's an interesting story yeah and um and it kind of links in with the subject matter that you're using now so don't leave any of that interesting story out um, <laughs> well, if yeah. you go on too long simon will stop you <laughs> or, or he'll send me a message and saying you've got to stop him talking <laughs> so welcome guy over to you for a oh, short while um, so yeah, my name's Guy. I'm, uh, and I've, I've basically been, uh, I sort of got started into large formats about a couple of years, a couple of years ago. Um, but I've, I've always had a, a pretty healthy interest in, in photography, and my background is in um, circus and cabaret and performing, and, and I think my my initial um, interest. I, I did a photography GCSE back in like 1996, I think, something like that on 35mm. And uh, as I got more into this kind of circus scene, I started doing juggling and fire juggling. And I saw, I discovered um, long exposure photography. So I did a lot, a lot of experimentation with that. And and then, as as my career took off, uh, I've kind of been doing a, you know a lot less of photography. But it was about a couple of years ago, you know, um, that's that I really started getting back uh, back into it. And and so most of my subjects, the portraits that I'm taking, are from people I know within the circus, cabaret, and variety scene. Uh, uh, yeah, mostly my friends and and people I know on that circuit, and they're they're quite an interesting bunch of characters. Um, yeah, so so yeah, that's where I, that's where I come from. <laughs> I was going to say when you say talk about an interesting bunch of characters, I'm, I've just just scrolled all the way down through your Instagram feed, um, and it's it's just full of of characters. 
Yes. I, I, I mean, I'm, uh, I wouldn't say famously, but I'm, uh, I'm, 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 I've been averse to taking uh, portraiture, portrait shots and things like that. Was uh, I'm always a bit nervous about working with people and actually showing them off to being at their best. And I, I look at, I look at your work and the people that are in them, and I think, oh, these are absolutely the kind of photographs I'd love to take. And, and you just, you just look, you just go through them. And they're all excellent, and they all look. They've got an effortless look about them as well, you know, And so, and there's clearly two things going on there, and that's that's your ability to direct um, your your models, and also you can absolutely tell that these these people like to be in front of a camera. They they all look incredibly comfortable, and and even even some like the you know relatively simple shots i mean there's a there's a there's a color shot in there uh of a pretty ordinary looking chap and he's and he's got a um a cardboard hat that's just over to one side and he's holding a balloon and yeah. you know, it's 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 a great it's a great photograph you know <laughs> and it, and it's it's just so simple um so uh yeah people need more people need to be seeing your work so head over uh to uh to guy's instagram account because there's some absolutely fantastic stuff on there oh yeah thank you and are these are, are these mostly friends from the circus world guy is it that's right yes yeah so most most of these people i've been shooting so far are people i know who i've met on gigs or have worked with um the guy actually with the balloon and the circus hat was was my agent for a long time so that was his 50th birthday photo he doesn't he looks them he looks doesn't look very happy, does he? <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a bit of deadpan for that one. Um, but yeah, I mean, one, I mean, one, uh, one of the things that I'm, that I, you know, that's that's I'm lucky with is that a lot of these people aren't shy, <laughs> so they're very they're very comfortable in front of a camera or an audience, and they're, they're quite a lot of them are unafraid to you know pull extreme expressions or uh, or you know just be completely natural and comfortable in themselves because but sitting in front of a big 16 by 16 camera is is can be quite intimidating um but these and i'm, I'm also putting them under to hot lights as well so they're most of these people are obviously used to the stage lighting as well um and the style that i've been going for is is very much influenced by the hollywood photographers from the mm -hmm. 40s uh, 30s and 40s so I'm, you know, I, was, I actually found a, a book of George Hurrell's work in in a charity shop, and that's really what started this. Who's that? Sorry, George Hurrell. Oh right, yep. Yeah. So yep. he he shot. A yeah. Lot no, of I'm familiar stars. with with that. Yeah, I didn't quite catch the name, but yeah. Yeah. So he he shot a lot of the movie stars yeah. uh, in Hollywood in the in the in the 30s and 40s, and uh, at that time, you know, he was shooting, he was shooting with a 10 by 8 camera, studio camera, and he actually used the same lens that I have, which is uh, the Cook Knuckler that we mentioned earlier. And uh, yeah, so he, he uh, they, at that time, they used, rather than flash, they used uh, Fresnel lighting, which is tungsten focusable hot lights. And that's what kind of gives that, that era of photography, that, that kind of slightly glamorous look, if you like. Um, and so, Sorry, just tell us a little bit more about tungsten. Tung, what did you say? Tungsten focusing. Yeah, they're fr lights. Fresnel lights. Uh, right. So that's 
is F R E S N E L, like in a lens. Yeah. yeah. So some people call it Fresnels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the, apparently the correct pronunciation Fresnel. is Fresnels. Yeah. 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 So they've got a uh, a lens on the front, you know, much in the same way that Lighthouse does with the kind of concentric rings. Oh yes. That yeah. Allow you to focus the beam. Right. And uh, so I've got three or four of them here. And I mean, not many people are using them these days. Most people use softboxes and flash. Um, but this gives, it's actually a very hard light. Yeah. But it gives it that really kind of stagey, spotlit kind of look, which which is kind of, you know, makes the makes the work quite distinctive. Um, and, you know, are you using another one of those on the background? Because a lot of these have that sort of spotlight in the background don't they behind the head almost looks like a halo is that, right, or, is, yeah. or is it the actual light on the face throwing into the background no i use a separate light to uh yeah. to light the background for those um yeah mm. yeah um so usually i'm in most of those pictures i'm using a three light setup a key light a hair light in the background and then occasionally i'm using a slightly softer light for a to add in a bit of fill as well any uh, little reflectors to you know, on the dark side. Yeah, occasionally, yes. Mm -hmm. A little, little gold reflector that comes in quite handy. And <laughs> so, so I use those in combination with the with the posing stand and <laughs> shooting at a super narrow depth of field. I'm shooting with all, with both my Indostar and my Kuknakler at uh, completely wide open. So the depth of field is. At close distances, it can you know, be less than a centimeter, so you really do have to nail focus. Um, yeah, yeah, and I've kind of got my front room set up with a chaise long I got off eBay and uh, um, an old standard lamp and a Chesterfield chair. So it's quite. I'm trying to keep in in feeling with the era. With the you, you need to get yourself over to Dave Shrimpton's house. I've I've seen his cavern. <laughs> I haven't been over, but. Uh, yeah, it looks fantastic. So when when you ask Les, right, yeah. to cover his face with elastic bands so he looks like some cross between the the elephant man and, and Tubbs from the League of Gentlemen, <laughs> um, what possessed him <laughs> to say yes? That's actually uh, a signature part of his act. Oh, is it? So he was hilarious. He he's actually a, he lives just over the road from me here. He's a he's a, a mime and clown physical performer. Wow. And he he's a very playful man and he he brought a suitcase full of props and um the shot that i i particularly like that i did with him was him with about four pairs of spectacles on his face um yeah he's he's a he's a very interesting character and yeah he was he was an absolute joy to work with he's an absolutely brilliant mime um as well so he's good at holding still <laughs> yeah Okay. Yeah, you've got the distinct benefit of, you know, having lived in this, uh, lived among, oh, I see the one with all the glasses, lived amongst this community and, and know these people so well. And you've got a wealth of subject matter. You know, most of us are um, scratching around for people to shoot. And then there's a degree of self-confidence or self um, lack of self-confidence that comes in when you put someone in front of a camera, you know. Yeah. And these are these are just clearly natural born performers, aren't they? So. Have you run out of subjects yet, or are you still working your way through this? Um, so I've, I've got a list of about another 20 people I want to shoot, and I'm beginning to get, you know, people get in contact with me now, which is great. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I've got, you know, puppeteers, uh, jugglers, acrobats, um, burlesque performers, 
yeah, loads of people. Um, but so you know, I do, I do have to say that you know, even even some of these people that, uh, that it, it can be said to be true that some performers, although these might seem very confident, they they're actually quite shy off stage. And mm. so, what I usually do at, at the beginning of these shoots is actually get them to pull stupid faces, and I just try and joke around, make them laugh. Um, if you like, I say to them, "We're going to take the ugly shots first. <laughs> get them in the mood almost because it, exactly. you, they need they need to switch on their performing gene, don't they? I guess exactly. And you know, I think I think this works with you know uh, people who aren't performers too. It just really helps them relax. That you you know when you're going to do a shoot that not all these pictures are going to come out perfect and and beautiful. There's going to be some duffs in there, so you might so I say to them, you might as well get these duff ones done out the way. So it just gets them to pull extreme faces, and yeah, it lightens lightens the mood, helps them to relax, and it means that there is no right face or or expression to pull. And you know, during the course of a shoot, uh, I mean, with this digital setup, I can do like between sixty and a hundred in a couple of hours. So, um, so yeah, so that so I basically get them not to be precious about uh, how, how they are in front of the lens. I think that I think you know, I think it's really good advice for. For for anyone, you know, not just not just performers who are, who are stuck and trying to hold still against the opposing stands and stuck under really hot lights as well. So yeah. when you're getting trying to get people to laugh, do you put your bowler hat and your your red nose on? <laughs> um, no, I, I've got a, a series of unusual prompts. Uh, I like to give people suggest suggestions of ideas to think of, or ways to look, or what expressions they might pull if such and such happened, or you know. Um, and I think, I think it's really crucial for a photographer to do, you know, to do that. It's not, you're not just pointing the camera at somebody. The photograph that you take is going to be a record of the relationship that you have with your subject. Um, I, yeah. I'm wondering what you said to the lady who's laying naked on your chaise lounge. Um, <laughs> I can't actually, work out. What, oh, she's got a glass in her mouth, isn't she? Yeah, uh, she's she actually insisted on getting naked and having that done. She's and have you sat on the chaise lounge since? <laughs> <laughs> she's uh, that's uh, Le- uh, my friend Lena, and she's a fantastic burlesque performer. Um, yeah, she she teaches and yeah, she 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 also runs her own cabaret nights, or she would have been doing if it wasn't for lockdown. Um, well, she doesn't seem to be shy. That's what no, I'll say. No. Uh, so, Were you yeah. expect? Did you have that sort of image in mind, or did she just say, "Shall I get naked and lay on your chaise lounge?" Well, she did. She did say. Before, when I first spoke to her before she she came she came round, she did want to do some nudie shots. So, mm-hmm. yeah, why not? <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Is she in a colour one? Oh, she's in. A, there's a colour one as well, further over, isn't there? Further down. Yeah, yeah. There's a, I think there's a few of her on there. And that's your lounge. So you've set up your lounge in this sort of um, almost uh, faux Victorian corner for shooting with your large format camera yeah so it's a my friend described it the other day as as like a cross between a gentleman's club and backstage at a boudoir (laughs) yeah i didn't like to say that but thoughts went through my mind so the all the majority of these pictures on your instagram site guy they're all made with this 12 12 or 16 12 mod is a 16 12 the same modified uh, monorail camera shooting into a effectively a box with a sheet hang down and then with a digital camera making the image is it the same technique for the yeah they're, they're both the same um they both work on the same principle but uh the the setup is very very slightly different between the two um 
it's it's actually very you know it's a very complicated thing to work out all the optics mm. because because I'm using a ten by eight lens on a four by five monorail that you get cut off from the bellows yeah. uh, at a certain distance where it joins the box. Yep. If that makes sense. It's like what we were talking about earlier with the, putting the five by seven back on a four by five. So that limits me on the focal range that I can get from each of these. So the new 16 by 16 can now shoot from a distance of about a meter to about three or four meters. Cause I can only get a certain amount of travel on the, on the monorail because otherwise then I bump into the front of the box. Um, and obviously that's got to be balanced with the coverage from the wide angle shift lens on the digital camera and how far away I mount that and also how much shift I can get from that to be able to meet the center of the <laughs> You're not the making image. life easy for yourself, are you? No, um, and also the speed of that as well. I've tried like five or six different lenses to try and get a fast, um, uh, yeah, fast shift lens that doesn't distort too much at that close distance as well or get too much vignetting we're using the shift. So I'm, I'm literally balancing like five factors at once. Um, and it's a very much a brain scramble. <laughs> but when you, when you first decided to, you know, try large format photography, yeah, th- this, th- presumably this setup wasn't the first thing that sprang into your mind. You just <laughs> presumably you thought, well, I'll, I'll get a, I'll buy a large format camera and stick some film in. Did you, is that, is that, was uh, that not, where you um, started from? Not strict, not strictly speaking. I, I, I initially, you know, I, I I thought after sort of leaving photography for a little while, I I thought I'd get back into it. So I went back to the textbook that I originally started with, which was Lang- Langford's Basic Photography. I don't know if you guys know that um, that book. And so in there, at the end of each chapter, there's there's a, a little list of exercises, so to speak, or experiments you can do. So I started out. Um, with a magnifying glass and a, and a bit of card, just seeing how lenses work. And mm. over the course of, gosh, several months, I then managed, you know, then um, designed and built this system. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it wasn't the, it wasn't the original idea, but it seems to have evolved uh, over, over a course of months. And it's taken a lot, you know, a lot of testing and a lot of, Head scrambling to to get to those points, yeah. but but now you're also starting to use um, uh, starting to do wet plate work yeah. as well. Is that a different setup? You're using a different camera, presumably, for that work. Well, I can take the four by five of 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 these uh, hybrid cameras that I yep. bought. Um, put put a, a ground glass uh, plate holder in the back. Okay, and then I stick that in front of my computer monitor and then use that to wet plate the digital images that i've taken right so that's now we've come back to the figolo type haven't we it, correct yeah yeah and and again that's taken a lot of experimentation to successfully manage to do that so um because your computer monitor and wet plates don't have quite the same dynamic range <laughs> and obviously clodian is only uh Clodium, which is the light-sensitive material on, on, that you use in wet plate, uh, is only sensitive to certain parts of the spectrum. Mm. So it, it only really picks up towards the blue and ultraviolet. Yeah. And 
So I'm I've spent done a lot of experimentation trying to adjust my curve in Lightroom to match the dynamic range of the collodion so that I can then reproduce these portraits to get the same look wow. on the final okay. plates. Simon, I sense you were trying to say something a minute ago. Uh, oh, it, 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 that's that, that's past now. I'm just, but I'm, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just just looking at um, one of these. Um, I can't what, what we call them fig, figler figler types, um, yeah. and it's the one you've posted most recently uh, mm. uh, of Katie. Yeah, and yeah. I'm I'm just wondering. I mean, I can't see it. Well, at least I'm not sure if I can actually see it in the the, the photograph that I'm looking at. Um, but do you do you not pick up the resolution of the monitor in yeah, these. Yeah, well, I, I know some people do have trouble with that, but I'm, I'm uh, currently I'm using a big, well, it's a Thunderbolt display from my Mac, so it's about, uh, I guess, about twenty-four inches across, mm-hmm. something like that. And then I'm my wet plate camera. I'm shooting on four by currently shooting on four by five, so the image that on the screen is gonna is about I would say. 12 by 12 uh, yeah. and so that's now being reduced down to 4 by 5 so I don't have any trouble with with pixelation particularly you know going reducing down to a smaller format uh, but the plan is uh, I've just got myself a Lund uh, wet, uh, travel tank which is eight for 8 by 10 and then I'm planning on using a Toyo 8 by 10 to hopefully produce eight by tens from this, so I, I've yeah, I've yet to create that kind of setup, but that's that's the ambition anyway. So if I do have a little bit of pixelation, I can just slightly pull the focus to blur the the pixels out. But I th- I think unless you're super close to the wet plate, I don't think you're going to see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I can always you know, like I said, blur it out by very slightly defocusing it or even using the soft focus on the knuckler yeah so as far as i yeah i mean it's it's an interesting way to to go about using wet plate um yeah. do you have you have you taken or does it interest you in taking wet plate photographs in the the traditional way sure well i've, I've actually i'm hoping to shoot do a shoot tomorrow but i've so far i've only shot four or five uh kind of Normally, if you, if you say to speak, um, I don't like I live in a top floor apartment, so I don't have access to outside space because I, you know, obviously you need you want ideally you want, you want, to, want to be outside. But there's a certain window of time in the morning where I could shoot indoors, but obviously I'm limited to do that by COVID at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, hoping I'm hopefully I'm going to do a shot outside soon. But I know a lot, a lot, I mean, a lot, the, a lot of the best portraits that I've seen using wet plates do use flash and because you can get that instantaneous you know capture hmm. and then really you know ca- uh, capture all that that perfect detail with that narrow depth of field which is which is when i think wet plate looks at its best yeah. but because of the low, low low iso of collodion you need an awful lot of light and very fast lenses so you're talking between uh, 2,400 watt seconds to 4,800 watt seconds, which is more than I can afford at the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think Dave Shrimpton he has a series of just 
powerful lights. I don't think he pays a lot of money for them, but they're not. I don't think he uses much in the way of flash because he's using. He's using Wix Wix building lights. Last last, uh, if I remember yeah. correctly, loads yeah. of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, I mean, one of the one of the things is you know particularly because I like this uh, this kind of Hollywood style with Fresnel lights. If I were to put my subjects under enough Fresnel lights, they'd probably burn to a crisp. <laughs> <laughs> So you're sort of limited by how much people's eyes can stand as well if it's not instantaneous light, yeah. yeah. So, um, so that's another advantage to the way that I'm, I'm, I'm being able to, ca- I'm, uh, yeah, being able to capture that kind of Hollywood look, but in uh, in wet plates. So yeah, so it's, my work's kind of about idolization and immortalization. So it's because uh, these a lot, you know, a lot of these people on the circus and variety circuit are heroes to me really and so i want to uh, make them look as as glamorous and as sophisticated as possible and then kind of immortalize them using the the wet plate process are they um going through a hard time at the moment a lot of these people i'm afraid so uh it's my my industry has been completely decimated Mm. uh, and there's very little prospect of things being picked up or think work picking up until next summer. And that's assuming, you know, the vaccine and, and things go to plan. So yeah. pretty much all of my friends are out of work at the moment uh, and myself included, cause I still put, you know, I still work on the variety scene um, and all of my gigs are being cancelled. You know, I had a nice gig in Holland and coming up and one to Czechoslovakia and they've all, yeah, they've all just disappeared. So I've actually been, you know, very thankful that, I've got this project to keep me going because uh, a lot of my friends, uh, you know, they just haven't they haven't got anything at the moment. So, yeah, um, yeah, it's a tragic time, I have to say. Do um, I, I guess then listen to Jack Lowe's conversation with interest because you know he's, you know, he's been working on this project for some years now, and it's also his income; it's his livelihood. You know. Yeah. And, uh, and he referenced the book, didn't he, by Neil Gaiman's wife called The Art of Asking, I think it was. And Yes. Um, and then he set up his Patreon site. Do you, is that something that you'd consider doing something like that? Uh, yeah, I, 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 to be honest, I've, I've, I've also read that book, and it is, I do have to say it's absolutely brilliant. Um, uh, but yeah, and a real inspiration for me too. Um, but going down the Patreon route is something... Yeah, I will definitely. I will def- after listening to Jack, I, it's something that I will def- definitely consider um, in future. Um, I think there's a lot of you, sh- you shouldn't feel shy about it. There's a lot of people in this community. I mean, it's yeah, we talk about the community. I don't really know what that means, but there are there are from our narrow viewpoint of looking in our Facebook groups and sort of people that we interact with, and and on Twitter as well. Um, there's people are very keen to support artists and photographers you know someone someone puts a zine out and and they ask for five ten quid for it they generally sell them you know but in the community and and so uh, and there's a there's definitely a vibe out there for supporting others you know and and you know i i support folks because i can you know and 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 i think you know don't be shy um you know you're doing something i mean goodness sake you know some of these let's hope it's not the case but some of these people may not end up working again as circus performers and yeah and and you know to to do it with the um 
with, with the the ethos that you do. You know, you want to immortalize them and uh, honor them, really. Yeah. It's a fantastic work. And it's very much coming at it from the same way as Jack's lifeboat. You know, and he, want, you know, the, he wants to immortalize and honor those men of the sea, men and women of the sea, you know, in, in a way that people did in the past. And you're doing exactly the same thing. And it seems to me that as as you do more of it, so as you say, people will start to contact you, and you you're getting the opportunity to do something really worthwhile, and it could end up being a, um, you know, a, a sort of vanishing thing. Really, I mean, it was there was I remember being really inspired some years ago. There was a photographer who was going around photographing traveling gypsy communities, and. It took him. It wasn't his background, but he, it took him probably two or three years to get embedded into that culture and to be accepted, you know, and to yeah. realize that he wasn't there to be a voyeur. He was there to honor them and to portray them in a, you know, in in a in a way which was, um, you know, truthful. And and you know, I'm not talking about people who might want to go and um, you know tarmac your driveway. I'm talking about. You know, travelers who had a long history of moving around with with some very proud traditions yeah and he and he was former he, he, and he, and i forget who that was but i know he did a couple of books on them oh. and so there's a there's a long tradition of this and and i think you'll find the community will be very supportive so um yeah I'll, oh thank you yeah that's definitely something I'll, because it's very worthwhile thank you yeah i, I you know a lot, a lot of my friends uh, you know they do live in vehicles um, mm. and and travel around and yeah you know, they're they're often looked down upon by certain communities and yet whether on stage they're applauded and and cheered it's 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 a bizarre you know dichotomy that um, but to be able to do that performance work a lot of them have to have to live very frugally um, yeah. to be able to pursue their passion and the amount of joy and ex, you know. Uh, shared experiences that they bring to audiences is is invaluable you know uh you know what's life without laughter and spectacle it's 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 you know it's what really brings people together if you know a room full of people laughing and cheering then you know that's you can lose yourself in that um it's you know it's what life's about as far as i'm concerned and and a lot of these people are extraordinary creatives they do original and and unique acts and creative work and it's not only the moment you see them on stage it's all the training they go through the, the physical endurance of the some of the things they do particularly aerialists and acrobats the making of the costumes the editing of them and more making of the music um and the support network and training spaces that have to be supported to to enable these artists to be able to do to do their art you know um so when you see someone on stage uh, you know variety or circus next time the amount of work that these people put in is phenomenal um and that yeah that's that's one of the reasons that i like to kind of try and elevate them through my work um it's because the amount of respect that i have knowing knowing them from that grassroots sort of level yeah so guy if i can just very quickly take you back to again that post where you were you shot of katie and the figure low type yeah and the cook knuckler well we've addressed those two yeah um but i'm very just interested because I, I did read the conversation that went on between you and um and mark osterman on yeah. on on the comp who made a comment in the facebook group because you had said that you were first time trying old dead bride collodion yes so 
you said, I'm loving the subtle tones I'm getting with this recipe. It's a lot faster than the old workhorse. So that must be it. So are these sort of um, um, off-the-shelf collodion mixes that you can buy and coat onto uh, – uh, onto your glass is is that is that what it, is that what they are yeah well uh both of them are, are recipes and so some people make uh and and sell those pre-made mm-hmm. or uh, the, you know the recipes are available online if you search them and you can make them up make them up yourself right. um uh so old workhorse is particularly good because it it lasts for a long time and old dead bride which was to, uh, invented by a guy called Brandon Fernandez, and I highly recommend you check out his work. He's a portrait portrait artist. Uh, that's he, he invented that recipe, and um, yeah, I love it. It's really quick, and, and when I do come to be doing uh, a kind of traditional wet plate um, because of the speed of that collodion, that's the recipe that I will be using. Right. Okay. Good. Right. Okay, well, that, that's that's probably a good time to start winding things down. Um, and uh, so, so Guy, um, yeah. this is, we're not going to say goodbye just yet, but I just want to say it's been absolutely a pleasure uh, chatting to you, and um, and uh, I've really enjoyed the tangents uh, that we've uh, we've gone gone on this this, this week. So, um, thank you for uh, for taking time out to to have that chat with us. Oh, it's been an absolute honour and a pleasure. Thank you. Right. Um, okay. So let's, um, let's say we'll start to wind things down. And the first thing I want to do is to say thank you uh, to those people that have donated to us since, uh, since our last show. Um, and uh, I'm going to read out most of them have left messages for us as well. So, uh, so 3rd of July, I'm going back to, um, and this is from, oh dear, uh i'm this looks like it might be a finnish name maybe uh but aram have have our have new yeah so him um thank you very 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 much um uh i have finally managed i finally managed uh to find a notoriously difficult to locate donation page um keep up the good work love the podcast um so thank you aram um you see guy even when you make it difficult people still give you some money so yeah you'll be blessed they they would they would they find a way um and then we've got um peter black uh, and he, he writes, uh, Andrew and Simon, I've listened to every episode and loved the show. Um, I've learned so much and discovered so many photographers who continue to inspire me. Um, after hearing the podcast with Jack, I thought I should help help support the show. Uh, thanks from Portland. Well, uh, th- thank thank you, uh, Peter. And and the, you know, it's it's the same for Andrew and I. Uh, exactly the same. Uh, we 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 learn things every week. Um, and it's 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 great to hear Andrew attempting to argue with people like Clyde, like Clyde from a few weeks ago, um, and uh, we we get absolutely inspired by the people that uh, that join us. And um, today's guest is no different. Um, so uh, so yeah, we 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 love doing it, and uh, thanks thanks for finding us. Um, and the next one is from Silist, um, and he says uh, thanks for introducing me to Jack Lowe. Um, it's good to know that, that there are people like this out there. 
Um, so uh, thank you very much. And yeah, it's again, it's a, it's the same thing again. You know, um, we don't always know what we're going to get when we get somebody on, and it's and it always takes us somewhere interesting. So uh, um, so uh, <laughs> Jeremy, I'm getting some tough ones this week. Um, Jeremy Van Schwelwick. Jeremy Van Sch- I, yes that one um, uh, and we all know who he is um, so I don't need to do that one again um, thank you so much for the podcast you keep bringing excellent content and a great variety of topics thank you thank you Jeremy and also a donation from uh, Christopher J. May so thank you all uh, for donating and uh, I was going to say uh, with, a, with, a, with a, a view to this uh, because um, things seem to have picked up a little bit um, I don't know if that's something to do with having Jack on the show or not um, but um, I think uh, we're going to be at the point where we, we're going to be able to go out and buy a, uh, a proper recording device which will be very very handy with the uh, the upcoming um, outside broadcasts uh, that we that we have planned uh, coming up with um, quite a few people actually thinking about it. So uh, so yeah, so we we might even be able to make good content away from our computers. So uh, thank you very much for your for your support there. Um, and um, we've we've had a few emails, um, and really a couple of them are probably going to take too long to do in a in a conventional show. Um, so. A bit frightened of one of them. Exactly, exactly. Well, you haven't seen the other one yet, so uh, you could be frightened <laughs> too of them. Um, so um, I think there's there's one email uh, that we need to read out, which uh, which is quite 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 succinct, and we can manage to understand this one. Um, mm. So um, so do you want to do you want to do that email? And I say we'll we'll do the other emails another time, and we might actually bring in a special guest to help us answer them. I think so. Yeah. So I have this email that you very kindly sent to me, and I have no idea why you sent this to me to read out. But it's from Graham Young, he of uh, one half of the Homemade Camera podcast. And this he's clearly just been listening to our episode with Clyde Butcher. So um, he says, uh, being a Floridian, Clyde is one of my superheroes. Um, and then in brackets, he must be quoting what Clyde said. I never wanted to be a good photographer. I wanted to be an artist great show (laughs) and then it says here sent from my iphone which has probably corrected your name and other random words creating humorous or possibly offensive typos i swear it's not my fault well thank you uh thank you Uh, yeah do do do, do my phones put those words in there in in that yeah i think i think they must have taken um flipping and changed it to oh okay (laughs) that that would explain everything yeah (laughs) <laughs> I don't swear normally. I'm just reading it out because obviously that's what um, Graham wrote. Yeah, so you you wouldn't do such a thing. Read, you? I could read it out and not swear because that's what he said. Exactly, exactly. It's a fact. So what, what, what else could you do? Um, okay, so um, thanks for uh, thank, thanks for that one, there, uh, Graham. Um, right, so uh, Guy, uh, again, it's been fantastic having you here with us today. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. That's it. Now, do you um, have any shout outs that you might want to say hello to that in the off off chance that somebody actually might be listening? (laughs) Yeah, well, I'd I'd like to uh, say a a huge thank you to my friend Tim Pierce, who introduced me to the wet plate process. And secondly, I'd like to thank all the people from the circus variety and burlesque world that have come to my studio and 
and let me stick them in front of my huge camera. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. And so I've, I've mentioned your, your Instagram account uh, and um, please feel free to mention that again. Are there any other places that people can find your work? Uh, I'm in the process of creating a website for my, for my work, but yeah, Instagram is the best place to go, which is just Guy Bellingham Photography. Excellent. And also uh, people can see your work in our Facebook group as well. Uh, you've been dropping stuff in there and it'd be great if you could show us some pictures of some of your, your, your kit in, sure. in the group. Uh, I'm sure people will be dying to see some of this stuff. I'll stick uh, the posing stand up there as well. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Um, okay. So uh, Andrew, have you got a shout out this week? Well, only because you mentioned him just before and he's a friend of two podcasts, uh, Matt Lethbridge, LRPS. Mm. And Matt's been playing around with um, dry plates and did an interesting comparison shot with a waterfall. And I think it was FOMA 100, um, which is a favorite large format film of mine. And so that's great. Check out Matt's work because he's a great guy and does some nice work. And he's um, so he's been using Jason Lane's plates. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, I mean, just, just a bit of context. We were, we were chatting before we started recording. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was anyway. Um, this is a, there's a shot on there that Matt uh, posted yep. yesterday called, and today being Wednesday, by the way. Um, and uh, it's called uh, Cauldron Falls uh, with a dry plate. And I absolutely adore this shot. I think it's mm -hmm. absolutely beautiful. And going back to when we had Richard pick up on the show uh, last last year and I, I took a, uh, some waterfall photographs and uh, the look that Matt achieved here was exactly the look that I was trying and failing uh, to achieve back then so uh, um, lovely shot um, perfect as far as I'm concerned um, yeah so uh, yeah so double shout out for Matt there um, any, any others or should we talk lucky about I've got one yeah, I think that's it. Okay. Well, that's more than I've got as well. So um, we're, we're sharing that one. Um, and uh, so outside of this podcast, how can people keep up with all the numerous things that you do? Twitter is always a good place. I'm often, I normally keep uh, people updated with what I'm up to in various photography avenues. So I'm Warboys Snapper, Warboys being the village where I live. And where else? So I'm on Instagram as Warboys Snapper, or if you want just pinholes, Warboys Snapper underscore pinholes, two different Instagram accounts. You can catch me most days in the Large Format Photography Podcast Facebook group, and at the moment, every week on the Lensless Podcast, which um, also has a Facebook group called the Lensless Podcast Facebook group. So there we are. That's me. Okay. Uh, well, I'm on Twitter as well on, as Simon4. That's uh, Simon with F-O-R at the end of it. I'm on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic. Uh, that's also the name of my website if you stick co.uk on there. Um, and that's a place where you can find lots of lens caps, although not necessarily for large format uh, lenses. Although um, I am now making um, headway in making uh, odd sized caps. Uh, and this is gonna be useful for um, for people with uh, you know, large format lenses uh, that uh, you can't buy a normal lens cap for. Um, so I'm, I'm starting to work on that. Um, I've got an order in at the moment, which uh, I think once I've actually 
done that order i'll actually understand all the mechanics that are involved in this but i'm making the the, the main part of the cap is going to be 3d printed um but uh, it will be it will have like a an outer liner of, of velvet uh, which will uh, in theory grip onto the cap but uh, getting getting that uh, that pressure correct and in a repeatable way is a, a tricky old thing um but that's that's something i'm working on um so uh watch this space on that one uh, they, they will be available I found on my uh, French lens, that lens I was using last week, that an Olympus OM-1 uh, push-on. Yeah, just it's a – oh, no, it's not. It's from a – I think it must be from an Olympus trip. Yes, it is. So it's the push-on lens cap from the Olympus trip fits perfectly on there. And then I think, Guy, you said that a 77-pinch, one of those lens caps that you pinched, is that the right size for my Indostar 37? That's right, yeah. Yeah, that's what I use. It works perfect. And I haven't got one there. So I, I've got a 67, that was, uh, so I need to. But they're not very expensive, so I can get a, an inexpensive lens cap for that uh, lens. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, I mean, I, I use um, exactly the same kind of things. Um, if if you can buy a, a, a cheap cap that works and it, and it pinches, then that's as good as anything. So, yeah. uh, But there are just some things where you're just not going to be able to do that. Um, so yeah. uh, so hopefully I can help fill that void. Um, I, keep, um, I keep the large format, my three large format lenses. I do keep them capped because they all came with caps and particularly the rear element. Um, but I had them all wrapped up in those Tenber lens wraps, which I find excellent. They're not that expensive. They come in several different sizes and um, they're, they're really good for protecting the lens. Okay, um, so uh, that's it. Um, I hope you've enjoyed uh, this week's show um, and it'll be great if you can join us again next time. So goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs>